0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff After Hours. This is Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, Bill Cannon. I'm a retired 27-year veteran of the NYPD. I retired as a detective sergeant at a Manhattan North Homicide Squad. And with me tonight is some other excellent NYPD talent. We have detective over 20 years experience, duty Ron, from from the warrant squad. And you guys all know his show. And we have detective, retired detective, Phil Grimaldi, a second-grade detective, which means he's a good detective. He got paid sergeant's pay. He is, um, he is a uh, second-grade detective, but an outstanding, outstanding detective. And Phil is, I usually say that um, he's um, straight out of Brooklyn. But tonight, he's not just straight out of Brooklyn. He's in Brooklyn. So, Phil, I want to make sure you're safe because you're in Brooklyn. Are you at a one- or two-clip location?
1: (laughs) Depends on who's getting clipped. But, yes, I am remote from Brooklyn. That's why you don't see my background. But uh, ready for the show, Bill. Ready for the show. Thank you. All right. I want to make sure
0: we have some police-off-the-cuff operatives out there in case you need their help. You can just shout out, you know, and they'll be there in in seconds.
2: There's always backup available, Philly.
0: That's That's it, baby. That's That's it. Birds of a feather, you know? 100%. So, folks, this case, um, Summer Wells, has been getting all kinds of uh, attention. And I want to thank all you folks from all over the world that have joined the Police Off the Cuff family. Uh, I see people from Scotland. I see people from um, Ireland. I see people from England. All over the world. I can't even name British Columbia. You know, I just want to thank you for joining the Police Off the Cuff family and we're growing. This case has made us grow by leaps and bounds. And uh, I also want to thank Duty Ron, who's been quite instrumental in this. But this is a case that's quite, it's a tragic case right now because we have a missing five-year-old girl who was first reported missing on June 15th, And there hasn't been any real solid lead since then. But some of the, we got some, we have some problems as investigators in looking at this case. And there's some real, real inconsistencies in this case. And I just want to show, um, I'm going to show a short video because all of the information we're getting from this is really from the internet. And you can't really trust that information because it's secondhand, thirdhand, and it's not, it's not accurate at all, you know, and, and I know there's some questions that everyone's going to ask tonight and we'll answer them to the best of our ability but there's some big rumors out there, and we don't deal in rumors. We deal with fact. So you may get some rumors on some other channels, but unless we can verify it, we're not going to put it out there. I just want to play a, a short video about some of the um, social media backlash that they're getting on this case.
2: That they wake up
1: every morning crying for their sisters. And as a mother, it really hurts to see your other children crying. Summer's parents say her
0: brothers are having a hard time coping with their sister disappearing. 12-year-old Josie, 11-year-old Wyatt, and 9-year-old Waylon.
1: And he misses his sister so much because he played with her all the time. Summer's mom, Candace says she's been receiving hateful messages on social media, most of which, she says, calls
2: her a bad mom.
1: And I'm sorry that you guys feel that way, but that's my baby, and nobody would ever treat her
2: like that as long as I was around. Ever. Summer's mom says she's fearing the worst. I'm just scared that somebody's hurting her, and there's nothing I can do about it, and it it smothers me summer's dad says he fears
0: her being locked up indoors somewhere because he says she loves to be outside
2: she loved to be outside all the time that's that was her unfortunately her, you know her downfalls a lot of times we'd the boys would be inside and we'd be like "Where's summer why'd you leave her out there alone you know go get summer now you know and that's happened over and over again and i just i'm so afraid that she's locked away
0: You know, I just, um, I have a problem with with that because basically everything that we're getting on this case is coming from uh, social media. But even the time frame, I don't trust the time frame. There's many people on the internet here that are talking about that time frame as if it's locked into place like it's uh, real time stamps, which is what we demand in uh, the police work. We demand accurate time stamps. And what do I mean by time stamps? Cell phone, you know, video uh, in a store, uh, a video at a at a toll booth, um, a cell phone call. We don't have any of that acu- accurate information yet. People on the internet are acting like the time frame of the day she is missing is in stone. It is not in stone, dude. Iran, you want to comment on that?
2: Yeah, Bill, you bring up some really good points because um, without definitive times, the story can change. The story can um, take us into different directions. So we're going basically on what's being reported by both the parents. We don't have the advantage of law enforcement showing us their cards. And it does bring us into different areas and it could take you into really dark rabbit holes uh, that aren't true. So at the end of the day, it is important that we wait and listen even if it takes weeks to get an update by the TBI and the investigators instead of taking stories and running with them you got to wait till they get vetted by the professionals who are in or, or who are in charge of this case so uh, it, it is a dangerous situation to get into because you're looking at so many different areas and it could keep you you know it could keep you not focused on what's important and what's important is finding summer wells and finding out what happened to her 100%
0: Phil Grimaldi, straight out of Brooklyn. As I said, he's not straight out of Brooklyn tonight. He's in Brooklyn. That's why it's so dark there. So, Phil, you you watch your back, all right? But, Phil, I got same, it. I <laughs> got it. same question. How What do you feel about this, this timeline we got?
1: Well, the timeline is coming from the parents, as we know. Now, we don't know what the detectives have uh, – you know, uh, deciphered from those interviews. We talked about maybe uh, interviews of the brothers and friends and then the people that they were uh, uh, running into along the way the the day that she disappeared. So the timeline that we're working with is basically from media reports and the Internet. So we really don't know the exact timeline. However, I think I talked about this in one of the other shows that um, the integrity of the investigation, by not leaking too much information... This is where it comes into play. When you put out too much stuff, the rumors just run wild. So the less you put out, a lot of the rumors can be dispelled as, you know, just hearsay and stuff like that. But if you put out too much, the rumors will just go berserk and they might lead to inaccurate, inappropriate leads or tips, and it make uh, make the uh, detectives that are investigating the case uh, go down a rabbit hole, just like Duty Ron said. So I think that that's very important in the case. But there was one thing that that woman said when you just showed that clip, the mom. She said... Uh, nobody would ever treat it that way if I was around. Now, what did she mean by that? That that I, I never saw that clip before. That was almost like a little bit of a red flag for me. How does she know how someone was treated? You know what I mean. So she doesn't really know. And she made like, was that a slip of the tongue or just she's assuming something uh, bad happened to her?
2: Go ahead,
0: duty. Run. It seemed like you I, wanted to say
2: something. Yeah, I want to add something to it. I had my mic muted, but um, you know, it's it's a great point that you bring up, Phil. I've seen that clip several times, and I've questioned it on my own channel. Uh, this is a mom who claims that she just saw her daughter moments before she went missing in her words, it was two minutes. But as we know, two minutes could sometimes mean 10 or 20 minutes, depending on if, you know, the person sometimes, uh, as she says, lose, loses track of time when she's having a good time. Um, but she supposedly saw her daughter just moments before she went missing. And right. that statement by her saying that statement, you know, if I was around, nobody would be doing this and this to her. It just contradicts her statement, Um, you know, and that's coming from, you know, uh, all three of us can agree on that. It's coming from a a law enforcement and investigative standpoint.
0: You know, duty, Ron, her first, her actual quote right from the video was, time gets away from you when you're trying to enjoy yourself. This is after her daughter being missing. I mean, you know something, I just think this, you know, when they call things Freudian slips, I think that, you know, what you say matters. And, you know, one of the things that I don't like about this whole investigation is that there's too many inaccuracies by Candace and by Don. And what that means to me or shows to me, it shows me guilt. It shows me that they're withholding information. They can't be that stupid that they're just making these mistakes. I mean, listen to that quote again. Time gets away from you when you're trying to enjoy yourself. This is a woman who just reported her five-year-old missing. And 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 now she's been missing for more, you know, a month and and some days,
2: you know. Right. Can I expand on that, Bill? Because yeah, go know, ahead. Um, that particular hey, this isn't
0: the duty run show. This is the police off the cuff, real crime stories. We're free on this
2: show. <laughs> ah, excellent. Well, you're free, we're free on my show too, but at the end of the day, uh the that that quote was her response to her 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 differentiation of the time when she she was directly answering online folks that are were badgering her about when she said two minutes my daughter went in the house and two minutes later she was gone, so she was saying that again. You made a great point. This is about her missing daughter, but she also was saying that that time gets by at the watering hole at the at the river. You're there having a good time and trying to have a good time when your mom is in the hospital and you're you're waiting to get prescription from Walgreens. You know, I, the whole thing, like you said, Freudian slips, Freudian slips. These are things that we as investigators home in on. And the, these are things that we have to key in on because we really don't have access, obviously, as we say, to the case file. But yeah, big time red flag for me. You know,
0: a duty run. I just wanted to bring this up so I can slam the door shut on this. There's been reports on the internet that Don took off. We cannot verify that. So we're not even going to talk about that because unless we can verify that information and then there was another rumor that they said they don't believe that, uh, that, um, Summer was, was kidnapped. I don't know where that came from other than internet rumors. So we're not going to address it as the truth. We're just going to address it as an internet rumor. Uh, Phil, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, you made a point about inconsistent statements. Now, me as an investigator, when I interview people after an incident happened, let's say a shooting, I'll use a shooting as an example. Um, The first person I talk to says, yeah, I heard seven shots. The person went down. The next person says, well, I heard four or five shots. That's not a great inconsistency for somebody that's pretty close to the shooting, let's say. But now you're talking about she's changing timelines and she's saying it's two minutes and and it could have been longer. I don't think that the inconsistencies that we're seeing are just possible inconsistencies. They sound like a little bit more than that to me. So like I said, now, if I'm the investigator on a case and I start to develop inconsistencies between the husband, the father, Don and Candace, and then I would definitely exp- try to exploit those inconsistencies by reinterviewing or going over it and I'll get a firm interview from those people, no matter what it takes. You know what I mean? The minute that you get a, a firm interview in the beginning, now you come up with inconsistencies because they're talking on social media, they're talking to the media in general. And now you call them back in and you say, listen, you told us this on the day that you reported this. Now you're stating something different. So you have to you have to drill down on those things as an investigator, 100%. But as far as Minor inconsistencies—whether uh, she said it was two minutes and it was 20 minutes—I could, I could live with those type of things. That, that's okay because in a frantic moment, you know, you, you're not thinking clearly. You're reporting your daughter missing; she's five years old. You can make a mistake like that. Maybe down the line, the next day or after you you go over the interview and you can hammer that out and get a better timeline as to what was the last time you saw the daughter. But these are just sound like to me that there are just a little too many of these inconsistencies. So I would definitely be calling her back in, calling Don back in. And with regard to the Internet stuff, I've been perusing the Internet. Obviously, when we're going to do a show, I try to do research, see if there's any developments. There's a lot of crazy things on there. There's people claiming that they were at a vigil and things were said. We don't know them to be true until the media or the TBI or the local police say any of these things. That's when we can put some substance to them.
0: Absolutely. Suzanne Fortier from California. Thank you so much for that $50 super chat. Um, folks, you know, I, as we we keep saying that we're not going to, um, we're not going to uh, talk about things that we can't verify. So yeah. it's like, you know, someone just said in the chat, Oh, it was said to someone at a, at a picnic or something like that. Right. That's not good enough for me. That's, that's not, uh, Yeah, that's, that's hearsay, exactly. Right, that's not. That's hearsay. That's right. That's not something I'm going to talk about because it can't be verified.
2: You know. If so, no, Bill, if I can expand on that because some of the viewers, some of the viewers might not have a great understanding of what we're saying here. Um, so, as an investigative team, now I'm not talking about Bill, Phil, and I. I'm talking about the TBI and the FBI and the local sheriffs. They're working together in, 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 on this case. If that tip was to come into them by a secondary source, or if it was, if it did come into them by someone who heard it from their ears, from their own ears, heard Kansas, Kansas say it, then that's a good tip. That could be right. a good tip. If it's said by five different people and then passed down the way, and then someone calls up and says, "Hey, I heard this," they're not going to be able to do anything with it. Um, I just want to let you know that fifty dollars super chat was from um, from. Um, Canada. It wasn't from California, so it's $50. Oh, yeah, I, thought,
0: yeah, I thought it was from uh, California. Yeah,
2: yeah no, but but still, uh, it's always great to thank. And I want to just say, Angela Austin, for the $5 Super Chat, she sent a message in, and I want to answer it because it was a good question she asked. She said, uh, Bill, duty, Ron, and guest uh, Phil, how do we know who reported the truck to the TBI and the FBI? Um, I can tell you that personally I heard on two separate very reliable news sources. And now the news can sometimes get it right and sometimes not. So this is not concrete, but I have heard and read separate articles that that was that information was obtained from canvases after. The you know like the day of or the day after she was reported missing it was a, can- a canvas door to door and it came from one of the neighbors they didn't say which neighbor they just said it came from a neighbor on um on the on the street there on one on uh, uh, Ben Hill Road ben you Hill. know
0: folks uh, duty Ron just used a police term it's uh, common in investigation canvas and any uh, major case and for example this is a missing person case. You would go door to door around the neighborhood in the vicinity of uh, the disappearance and maybe even expand it, Uh, knock on people's doors, ask them if they've seen anything. And that's probably where they got information on that red uh, Toyota pickup truck. The other thing is I just want to mention also investigation 101 in a missing person is and I talk like that because I used to also teach college for 10 and a half years. I taught criminal justice. Investigation 101 for a missing person is the first place that you search is the residence of the missing person if, in fact, a missing person was reported from that location. That is the most important thing is the search, extensive search of the
1: home. Absolutely, Bill. I agree with you on that. Um, One other point I wanted to make. With regard to the truck now, Duty Ron just said he got it from a, a fairly reliable source that uh, it was picked up on a canvas. Maybe also uh, they would have maybe some video of this, of this vehicle, you know, because they seem to be pretty exact on uh, Tacoma. So obviously we don't have privilege to the case folder. Uh, Duty Ron made a good point. It's not 100% concrete, course. it is the media, and sometimes they get it right, sometimes they get it wrong. But if it was uh, picked up on a canvas, um, I'm sure uh, the person would say, I saw the truck at this location, maybe at this time. Then they would probably go to a local... Uh, there has to be cameras somewhere in there. I know it's a uh, rough terrain, and it's uh, very, uh, it's a lot of wilderness there, but there has to be cameras somewhere around. And, you know, if they find this person... Maybe they had a legitimate reason for being in the area. Maybe they saw something. And I think it's very important if they narrow down and find... We talked about the lawman searches in previous episodes. So if they find this person, I think that would be uh, definitely one of the things that they'd have to follow up. And as far as canvases, we've used that word. And, you know, like um, we talked about... Uh, the locations that they were at just prior to her being reported missing earlier that day. Bill and I on the the show on Friday said, you know, we would send detectives or investigators would go back and canvas the hospital, the Walgreens, the convenience store, the watering hole, wherever it was, to try and find people that can say, yes, I saw her. She was in the car. She was with those people. And Bill, one other thing I wanted to bring up, I don't know if you had planned on bringing it up uh, during the episode, the picture of her sleeping in the back of the car, there it is. I wondered why, after we did the podcast the other day on Friday, why did they take that picture? Was there a reason to take that picture? Was it that, oh, look, she's sleeping, how cute? Or was it they were trying to produce a timeline to show that she was still alive and with them for something that was going to happen to Ferris. Now, that's really, you know, a conjecture. But why did they take that picture? I would definitely be asking. You know, know,
0: Phil, this was was actually, uh, this was a video. They'd actually taken a video, yes. And the still that you're looking at right now on the screen is reproduced from a video. And for folks that haven't tuned in uh, before or have heard the conjecture on this, many people across the web were saying that she's dead. And to slam the door shut on that uh, duty, Ron brought in uh, Barbara Butcher, who was the chief of staff of the New York City office of the chief medical examiner, who has been to over 680 murder scenes and has attended over 2000 autopsies. She looked at that picture and dissected it for us and said she would bet 100 percent that she was alive during that picture.
2: Bill, I want to add to that, too. Um, you know, this is a prime example of um, how people's hearts get into this case. You know, we're all parents. We're all, you know, there's moms, there's dads out there. So people want to just believe what they're hearing on uh fake book. So a lot of these fake, a lot of this stuff came from Facebook and, and online Internet stuff. Listen, at the end of the day, I take... Uh, Barbara Butcher, in someone's professional opinion, a hundred million times over than some person on Facebook. Now, I'm not saying everybody on Facebook is spewing toxic rumors and falsehoods, but a lot of it. And and, and you know, if we can't all get together as an adults and agree on something that's true, uh, then there's something wrong. But at the end of the day, like you said, I my, the focus with this channel, police off the cuff. Uh, and real crime stories and duty run crime time with duty run is to bring the police perspective in a very layman's way so you can understand it so a lot of times we try not to use these police terms and these pre-release terminologies so you guys can understand it but at the end of the day either you could listen to someone who knows what they're doing uh, barbara butcher is in that business we're not She knows what it looks like when you're looking at photographs of a dead human, whether it's a child, an adult, or anything in between. So I was so satisfied by her, and I gave her a two day period to analyze that photo. I sent it to her um, from the TikTok video. I took a me and Josh got the high resolution picture for her. It wasn't touched up, it wasn't, um, you know, doctored up to make her look like she had bruising, it was the actual photo from the screenshot so um if you know folks want to not believe the uh, the professionals that come in that's their prerogative but i know that a good overwhelming majority listen to you bill listen to phil listen to myself and others that are on here from the police side and say you know what i'd rather get this information than have my head spinning
0: debbie graby from south africa wow thank you so much for the 35 dollar super chat she has a question with no body slash eyewitnesses. What else could authorities look for? Possibly her remains still on the property despite dog search. You know, we, we spoke in great deal the other day about some of the investigative resources
1: that are available to law Billy, enforcement. Billy, could I just interrupt for a moment? I just want to add one thing to what Duty Run sure. was just saying. Now, the shows that we've been doing, Police Off the Cuff, Duty Run, uh, the, the fact that all three of us could have looked at that photo and we've seen hundreds of dead bodies and came to the conclusion and been okay with it. I would have been satisfied with that, that that was not a deceased child, that that was a child who was alive, but you went the extra step and you got an expert and the expert determined that in her opinion, who's seen how many autopsies you said, uh, hundreds of them that the, the child was alive. So that's the difference between these podcasts and maybe many other podcasts, you know, Uh, what point were you making, Bill?
0: No, I was making a point of some of the uh, investigative resources that can be used. I mean, they don't just give up like right now. We talked about the lawman search, which checks all through uh, DMV databases for Toyota, red Toyota trucks that are in this vicinity here. Uh, We talked about the Remington plate reader that reads thousands of plates and can tell you the cause, what cause were in the area at a specific time. Uh, we're talking about uh, Mike Fabozzi, who came on and s- spoke about geofencing, which is very complicated, and I don't want to get deeply into it now, but just just understand that it can actually track and pick up all electronic devices that were being utilized at a specific time and a specific place. And that is an unbelievable investigative tool. Do I know whether TBI and the FBI are in fact using that now? I don't know that. But I'm just talking about some of the investigative resources that can be used. In addition, old-fashioned police work, interview and interrogation of people that are arrested, interview and interrogation of parolees, of probationers that are in the community, people want a court consideration, they may know something. That is the resources that law enforcement reaches out to to get information. 100%. Bill,
1: I wanted I wanted to say something about that young lady's question because she mentioned with no body. Now, you and I know Tommy Dades, who was a first grade detective and an organized crime expert. There were two cases that he worked on over uh, time in uh, his career in the NYPD where he actually had no body recovered and he was able to successfully investigate, arrest and get convictions on people that murdered someone and the body was never recovered he did it on two separate so it's not impossible it's uh, it's not very often that that happens usually uh, a body is recovered and that you know just adds to the to the criminal case the criminal aspect of it but if, if the body is never recovered, it's not an absolute that you will not get an arrest and conviction with all the other investigative uh, tools you talked about. And then if you have uh, forensic evidence that may be recovered, uh, blood evidence, different things like that, where you'll have no other conclusion but the fact that that person is no longer alive. And, you know, you have the people that are responsible for it and it can be, you know, it's probably difficult for a jury at that point, but, uh, it has happened and it can happen.
0: You know, one of the things I I've been known to say, and I, I I'm guilty of repeating myself quite a bit and is that circumstantial evidence can be very extremely strong evidence. As long as there's lots of it, if there's lots of circumstantial evidence means circumstantial evidence the definition is what inferences may be drawn from. So that is sort of the criminal justice definition of it for which inferences can be drawn. So if you have tons and tons of circumstantial evidence that, you know, piled high may be enough to charge someone and, and Phil, and you're hundred percent correct. Many people think that have never worked in a uh, criminal justice field or in law enforcement, that if there's no body, there's no prosecution. And that's not true. We've seen that uh, occur and prosecutors have gotten convictions in, in New York State numerous times. And I'm sure in other states also. Duty Ron, you're shaking your head. Go go ahead, buddy.
2: Yeah, no, no. There's there's plenty of cases where um, prosecutors can bring forward uh, successful uh, criminal, you know, success, successful cases without the body. We have right now going on and we're going to be covering it on my channel on Duty Run, uh, Barry Morphew. Uh, he stands accused of murder in the first degree, uh, unlawful disposal of a human body, and a slew of other charges, including voter fraud. Um, you know, again, circumstantial evidence, when it's piled up high and deep and it's strong, you can you could still bring that case forward. And at the end of the day, the questions that are coming through in the chat and in the comment section are all very good questions. But some of the questions... um even if answered, would not bring an arrest in the Summer Wells case. Like questioning about, you know, where do people buy milk and, you know, uh, all these things about this. People have spent hours and hours, countless hours, questioning that photo that you just showed. Um, Other aspects of the case, they released a 911 call made by, I believe, um, uh, um, Summer's mom uh, recently. Yeah, Kansas. I'm not going to, you know, I haven't listened to it yet. I'm not going to comment on it but you know most of the time these 911 calls you know they do give us information but investigators look at certain pieces of that call that we, we um, I'm talking to the audience the folks of you know regular civilians would not try to pick up on certain things that they talk about that they'll look at and I wouldn't talk about it here in the chat but at the, at the same time some of the 911 calls could provide nothing they could, you know, be just, uh, you know, a, a frantic call or a calm call. I would imagine her call, and I haven't even heard it, is probably something somewhat calm because everything that we've seen, and this is something that I hope you'll talk about, Bill. I heard you speak about this in the past. The demeanor of both mom and dad is not just going to talk about. It that. does not uh, reflect what a loving and caring parents would express at a time of such urgency. Um, they just. Struck me, and I listened to Don first. He struck me as so suspect because of the the way he was. His demeanor to me was not that of someone who is freaking out over their, their five year old daughter missing. Um, it, there was no urgency, and there was nothing that they were putting forward that would indicate that there was any urgency to finding her.
0: You know, Duty Ron, I, I'm glad you uh, touched upon that. And I, I wanted to sort of cover some new things because we covered that on the last two or three shows about their demeanor. About the look, Don Wells is what we all know, and in, in New York City, we would call him. And I'm going to call him what he is: he's a career criminal. All mm-hmm. right. And I know a lot of people that in the chat they don't like when we refer to him in that. In fact, some woman objected to the fact that we said he was arrest- arrested in October for domestic violence. Oh, she dropped the charges. That doesn't erase what he did. He still was outside drunk, and you know she was screwing out screwing around with somebody. Then maybe a normal person would say, you know, maybe this isn't a good wife if she's screwing around when I'm gone, you know. And he's in a car drunk and he has a gun. And the folks in the chat are saying, "Oh my God!" But he wasn't arrested. She dropped the charges. He's a criminal. This guy, all right. And I don't care what his church says or what any of the folks around him say. He's got a, you know. Again, I'll quote the great John Jay professor. There it know, is. I was just going to say that that. That, that that quote of past conduct is very indicative of future conduct. You know, how you acted in the past. Yes. or we can forgive you if you totally turn over a new leaf. But guess
2: what? You you put that on your slate. You put that on your record. And turning to God doesn't erase your criminal history, folks. Hey, every criminal in prison Good turns point. to
0: God. Every right. single one of them, you know. Right. Because- I just want to mention there's someone in the chat, Freethinker, Debs. Thank you for the 1999 uh, Super Chat. Also, she says, and I this is echoing the frustration of everyone, It's time for the kid gloves to come off and pressure applied on this family. This treading lightly and playing nice is not working. It's only my opinion, but enough is enough. Love you guys and appreciate you. I just want to mention one thing. Look, law enforcement wants to have enough before they bring them back in. Except I, you know, I would want to bring her back in now, to tell you the truth. I think she's ready to. uh, It's
1: time. time. Yeah, it's time to
0: bring her back in because sometimes you wait too long and you miss the opportunity. And get
2: get them in the box.
0: Yes. Put her in the box. And, you know, you got to confront them with all these inconsistencies. There's
1: a list of of, uh, inconsistencies they could come up with. And, um, you know, there's there's uh, probably stuff that we don't know. And um, with regard to that last comment that we were talking about, that someone commented, they said uh, they they objected to the criminal history of uh, the husband being brought up. That was 100 percent relative to this investigation because it it speaks to domestic violence. Uh, He was drunk. uh, There was a fight. He had a gun. So it's 100 percent relevant. If it was 50 50, I would say, okay, maybe. But it was 100 percent relevant. And you have to uh, you have to. Ask about that, bring it up, talk about it, and it has to be part of the investigation. Uh, one other thing about uh, nobody there's a case that's going on currently in Connecticut. I believe the woman's name, the victim's name was Jennifer Dulos. I think that's what it was. And her husband was actually charged. Him and him and his girlfriend were charged with uh, covering up a crime. They weren't charged with the actual murder because the body Almost had been, 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 been recovered. Been yep.
2: what, what is it? is the, the perpetrator was photos dulos and he right, killed right
1: right right he killed genfordor and they were ready to to up the murder charge even without the body and he wound up committing suicide but i believe there's still charges uh, pending against the girlfriend so that's just an example of a case where there's no body found and they were still able to do an investigation produce enough evidence and come up with charges
2: I want to circle back to quick. I didn't mean to cut you off, Bill. I'm sorry about that. It's okay. It was it was about this domestic violence arrest in uh, October of 2020. What I noticed too, and to me, was something that uh, all of these domestic violence abusers, uh, we see this happen quite a bit, where the spouse or girlfriend drops the charges. And a lot of times they drop it in fear. And I thought it was clear and, and, and concise of what Don Wells said. He said on national television or his local news that we had a misunderstanding. It was all a misunderstanding. Yeah. Drunk in the car in his driveway with a loaded firearm. um, And she made a statement on her DIR that she was in fear for her life and her children's life. Those are clear statements right there for that woman to write that statement down. Something had to be more than just a, a verbal dispute. He had to have made a statement like, I am going to f- kill you. Right. You know, it, it had to have been because she wouldn't have done that.
1: And a judge signed the order of protection. And I don't think he thought it was a misunderstanding because judges that sign order of protections usually are very stringent about what the, the facts of the case are before they sign an order of protection. That's how it is in New York. I'm sure it's the same way there. So I think that's a great point, Ron.
0: Yeah. Dr. Doctor Debo Cherry, thank you so much for the $20 super chat and for the compliment. Thank you for your help. Excellent work. We need you guys. You know, we're coming from a law enforcement perspective. I've gone to hundreds of homicide scenes. I've supervised hundreds of missing person cases, special categories, hundreds of robberies. I was in the detective bureau for 16 years. Out of my 27, I worked six and a half years plain clothes anti-crime in the city. So I have a pretty... Solid background, and, and I taught criminal justice for 10 and a half years and criminal investigation at the NYPD Police Academy for six years uh, while I was still working the streets in homicide. Phil Grimaldi, same thing, 21 years, 6-0 squad, all kinds of homicide cases. He was also a plain clothes guy. He's also a um, recipient of the Combat Cross. Duty Ron, twenty twenty one years in the NYPD, in an investigative background. We're not talking from rumors. We're not talking from internet chatter. We're talking from NYPD experience.
2: I want to add too to that um, what, what I did, and you and I spoke about it briefly, so I don't think even Phil knows. I worked in the Parole NYPD Joint Task Force. So what we were involved with is interviewing and interrogating parolees that were released after committing heinous crimes and released early. Uh, into society, and we would go and we would interview them and interrogate them once they violated their release of parole, and we would get them in the box, as you say, Bill, every Wednesday down at the parole office on Jerome Street, downtown Brooklyn. And um, so I've conducted hundreds, maybe even thousands of interviews with parolees, some of the worst of the worst, guys like that are, you know, repeat offenders, career criminals. Uh, So I've seen it all, and they're always. I didn't do it. This is not all their fault. It's not my fault. This this happened because of them. Right. And I saw the same thing with Donald Wells. I saw him, uh, just like the hundreds of others that I've interviewed in the past, make excuses for his behavior. Now, you know, we're looking at five-year-old Summer Wells who has, as her mother said, she's just gone. Yeah. Just like Orin and Orson West over in California. They said, "When in the house, out of the house, they're gone. Two babies. The whole thing stinks. stinks duty on, you want know? to
0: hold that? Hold that thought. We got to go to a quick uh, commercial. And we'll, be, we'll come back with this. Folks, any of you folks out there in the chat uh, looking to move to a nice, warm climate, a beautiful state? Carol Waters is a realtor. She sells real estate down in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. She was a former 20-year bartender at the Fitzpatrick Hotel in New York City. Her husband, Rob Mayen, was an NYPD police officer who rolled over to the fire department. And after he retired, they moved down to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and they're a great team selling real estate down there in the Million Dollar Sales Club. So if you're interested in moving down to Myrtle Beach, give Carol Waters a call, 914-261-6681, or you can Email her at CalWaterCellsMB at gmail.com.
1: Joe Murray, attorney at law. Joe is a terrific trial attorney as well as a victim's advocate. He's also a former member of the NYPD. He's a terrific attorney. And if you find yourself in need of legal consultation, you can get Joe at jmurray-law.com. That's jmurray-law.com. His email is joe at jmurray law.com. Cell phone, I'm sorry, telephone, 646 838 1702. 646 838 1702. Joe Murray, attorney at law.
0: Excellent. I just joe. wanted to
1: make one last point about what we were just talking about with regard to being in the box. Being in the box is an interview room with a subject or a perpetrator. That may have committed something as uh, simple as a, a street robbery or a heinous murder. Now, I've been in the box hundreds of times doing interviews. There was probably only maybe two or three times where I say I was in the box with the devil. Now, I was uh, in, involved in an investigation. A police officer was killed. And it turned out that the people who were responsible had killed four or five people. I I said they were serial killers, so to speak. They they got that moniker because they killed people for absolutely no reason. Now, when I was in the room with that perpetrator, I looked at him, he looked at me, and I knew I was in the room with the devil. And his partner was also what I called the devil. And I've had other cases where some people were just so cold and callous about how they just took someone's life and killed them that the only way you can explain it is It was the devil. Now, there are other times where a fight breaks out and things happen or a robbery gone bad. And that person, you know, they might be showing remorse, more. So they're trying to protect themselves and they lie. But I'm telling you, till you've been in the box doing an interview, you can't make the statements that us three are making. And especially when you've been in the box with the devil.
0: Deborah Sharp asks, so do you think 33 days is way too long to not come down on Candace and Don? When would you have come down on the parents? Deborah, there is no uh, specific time frame. But when you have inconsistencies in statements, when you have outrageous statements like, oh, someone kidnapped her. I hope she's not in some basement. Oh, you know, uh, I don't think she's alive. I mean, those are outrageous statements to me. And, you know, there's an old expression by Shakespeare, uh, you doth protesteth too much. And there's a lot of truth to that, you know. And yeah. when someone presents that negativity and that almost like they're predicting this is what happened, maybe they know a little more than they're predicting.
2: Absolutely. And, you know, Bill, um, I, I got to say, that, you know, Phil, you made a great point of we have seen the worst of the worst, evil, you know, most folks, they don't ever want to come face to face with somebody like the some of the folks that we've dealt with. And uh, we bring it forward to you from a police perspective for a couple of different reasons. Number one, for an educational uh, purpose. If you're following true crime cases like this, wouldn't you prefer to follow them from the, the standpoint of how the investigation goes instead of just guessing or having somebody who's sitting there Googling articles and talking to you about that? We're gonna give it to you how it goes, and I think that's what's one of the greatest parts about police off the cuff. And before I throw it back over to Bill, I want to say a special thank you to everyone who came over from Duty Ron, uh, Crime Time with Duty Ron, and subscribed to this channel. And for all the new folks who are subscribed, thank you so much. Believe, police off the cuff, believe me, these guys um, have such great um, knowledge and experience. You won't go wrong here.
0: Duty Ron, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And I really appreciate you folks from all over the world. It's it's humbling to me you know, to see people from England, from Ireland, from South Africa. I'm like, oh my God. It's, yeah. it's really, it's really tremendous, you know. And you word guys are looking around, at word
1: gets around, Bill. Word gets they're, around.
0: They're looking at Phil Grimaldi from Brooklyn, which is he's got two <laughs> clips on him tonight, just in case, my, you know.
1: My can, fan club in Switzerland. I can tell you
2: this: twelve hundred people aren't just you know looking at it for for this or yours, your face, Bill, or or well, a lot of people like Phil too, you know. He's, uh, he's they like
0: for, they like they like that uh, Joe Pesci look, you know. He's got that get that <laughs> Joe You're Pesci. You're a funny guy, Bill. You're a funny guy. <laughs> Me and Bill. You know, if, <laughs> a couple of people have said in the chat, and I'm a little baffled by this, too, and I'm going to bring this up. Where is Child Protective Services in this case? I just do not understand it. Because, first of all, not only should this family have a social worker assigned to this family and be visiting once a week. Uh, I mean, they have to provide some information to law enforcement. Like, what's going on here? You know, because... There's some there's some real abuse going on here, you know, and I can look at that by just looking at these two parents. And I don't want to hear from the church that we're casting aspersions. This is what we're seeing in in real time, you know, that oh, because they go to church and pray doesn't mean they can't do heinous
1: criminal acts. There was definitely peculiar behavior right out of the father's mouth, and I talked about this on the Friday episode, that he mentioned that uh, she shaved her head. The mother had shaved her head and then Summer shaved a piece of her head and then it got out. His exact words were, when it got out of control, we shaved our whole head for it to grow back. Now, that's not you know, saying that there's 100% abuse going on a family, but that's unusual behavior. That's not everyday behavior. And like you said, Bill, there should be some interdiction, interdiction from Child Protective Services. There may have been, maybe we don't know, but I would think at this point with all the media attention, if Child Protective Services did have a uh, a history there, or if there was uh, Child protective Protective Services coming into the home now, we would probably know about it. I mean, where are they? I hope they're not asleep at the wheel. I hope that they're involved in this, and I hope they're giving information to the
2: police. Hey, Bill, can I say something next? Go Ahead, duty, Ron. Okay, uh, piggybacking off of that, I gonna I'm gonna revert back to Orrin and Orson West. A family of six. Okay, two of their kids go missing in California City, December twenty first, twenty twenty. The next day, not even twenty four hours later all four of the remaining kids were taken by CPS. And the reason they were taken is because of an emergency exception. They felt because there was no s- s- clear and concise answer of why Oren and West went missing that the, the California city police chief made a command decision and he wanted to cover his ass. And he said, you know what? I'm not going to let these kids disappear either. So I'm going to have CPS take them away. Now, a lot of us parents would argue, like, "Oh, that's not fair to those kids," and blah 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 blah. But if you have two parents that can't give you, and that's the Summer Wells case, Donald and Candace cannot give you a clear and concise reason or something that is reasonable of why Summer disappeared. Then it's important that they cover their ass by taking the kids and putting them in safety. Because of what if hap- what What would happen if God forbid tomorrow? The rest of the children, the rest of the boys, go missing. Who would be responsible for that? Everybody and their mother would be pointing to the all the police and investigators and anybody that's in charge there, and they would be like, "Why didn't you protect these kids?" So that's my thing as a parent and as a law enforcement professional. I say to myself, "Why are these kids still there?"
0: You know, you know, duty, Ron. That's a, a brilliant point. And I was a patrol sergeant before I went into the detective bureau. And the wording, the, the the verbiage being used is: if you believe that there's imminent danger that the child can be, you know, hurt or seriously injured, then you have the authority as a law enforcement officer to remove the kids. And that could be
2: articulated here,
0: one hundred percent. One hundred percent. I mean, if I was a patrol sergeant, would have responded to that house and, and seeing these two, I would have removed those kids absolutely. absolutely. And you know, I know I'm, we're going to get a, a shitstorm on social media about that. I don't care. I've removed kids. You know, I've removed lots of kids in New York city. I opened the refrigerator. There's nothing in there but Budweiser. You know, there's no, there's no food for the kids. The the house is a pigsty. You know, I'm going to remove the kids. You You know,
2: know, let me clarify. It's not a removal to remove the kids to be mean. It's a removal to just figure out what happened and what's going on. And not to let, and it's not to take the kids and separate them from their parents. You know, a lot of times kids could be removed and put with another family member. Now, it doesn't seem like this family has a strong family uh, background. It doesn't seem like there's loving aunts and uncles because I don't see any of them really coming out of anywhere. Um, so again, it is a bad. It's a matter of safety for the, for the remaining children, and it's a matter of liability. Because law enforcement is taxed with protecting and serving the public. And these kids, in my eyes, are in some level of danger at this point because of the stability of these two and the way that they're talking. You have Don Wells on his Facebook. I reviewed it before we went live tonight, talking about Satan, talking about all kinds of crazy outlandish stuff. And for me, that's uh, you know, that's that's a major red flag. That's not a that's not a father that's stable in my eyes, making conversation like that. You should be making like conversation like, hey, help me freaking find my daughter. She's out there. Could somebody help me? You know, you know, duty Ron, I I mean, I
0: couldn't agree with you more. And I, as I said, as a patrol sergeant, if I would have responded to that scene, those those three boys were the hell out of there. I'll tell you that right now. You know, hundred percent.
2: What do you uh, feel about that, Phil?
1: Well, I actually uh, dropped out of the chat there. I had a little technical difficulty, but I think I got the gist of what you guys are talking about, whether or not the uh, other children. I mean, Child Protective Services, 100%, absolutely should have interviewed them, asked about the behavior. One specific thing would have been the shaving in the head, anything to do with Summer or themselves, uh, you know, how they were being treated. And I drilled down on the first episode that we did about this, that the grandmother should be spoken to. And how do you feel that you know uh, the way the children were being raised about how summer was being raised how she was being treated I- I'm sure that there's uh you know uh, a lot of different things that could be done uh, immediate family members can be spoken to uh, neighbors can be spoken to friends so uh you made a great point that in that other case that uh, they took away the children the next day immediately yeah. that should, say again
2: they did it as soon as the dust settled in the morning yeah, They yeah. went there and they took them
1: yeah, I mean, I don't know if there's introduction by uh, child protective services or not, but there definitely should be.
0: Yeah, you know, I have it on the screen, folks. Uh, don't forget if you haven't, subscribe to our YouTube. Uh, hit the subscribe button. Give us the uh, the up the up sign. Leave a comment. Let but us know, know. Yeah, let us know where you're from. You can also follow us on Facebook or visit our website, policeoffthecuff.com. You know, one of the things I want to move to now, and to me, this is the meat and potatoes of this case. And I'm going to make a comment, and I'm not trying to be controversial. I'm not trying to criticize anyone in this case at all, because I, we 100% support the police. We don't know all the ins and outs of the case, that they have lots of information that's not released. So we have no right to critique their work. But what I'm going to say is, I don't believe... And, you know, this may be putting it out there a little bit. I don't believe that summer was ever brought back to that house.
1: I got to say, uh, Bill, I I think that there might be something to what you're saying. I mean, what we know, uh, obviously, we said it numerous times. We don't have uh, access to the the case folder, intimate knowledge of the case. But it, it almost seems that there was something that went wrong somewhere. And they came up with that story. That's what it seems like to me.
0: You know, uh, Phil, that's that's just a hunch. And that could be that could be dismissed by the interview by the three boys. If the three cool. boys saw her at the house that day, then I take back my words. But I don't I'm not privy, like we said, to the case folder, but just a hunch, I'm not seeing that she was ever brought back there because. There's a lot of things that bother me. The 911 call, her calling Don before she called 911. To me, that almost gives him time if he's involved in this conspiracy to cover things up. You know, and I'm just using my police instincts. I don't have facts here, and I don't. Again, I don't. I'm not privy to the case folder, so I don't. And the, the, the police, the TBI and the FBI, they could be laughing at me right now. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Well, I don't know the ins and outs. I don't have that information.
2: I'd like to expand on that, Bill, because, you, you know, I thought that myself, too, early on in the case. And um, I think that that is an extreme possibility that in between the time of the, you know, the, the swimming and the getting of the medicine, um, she could have gotten rid of um, the summer. And, and if, in fact, that is the is the case, I don't see her as a tightened up criminal that would have done this. Clean. I think she would have done it in sloppy. So, if she in fact did do that, I i think that we'll be able to find her. And I think that the investigators and the searchers will, if and like you said, if they interview the kids and the kids, the you know, turn around and say that the, the 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 sister wasn't there, then we got something. But like you said, I mean, I I feel that that's an extreme possibility right there. So well,
0: someone in the chat just said she was in the car when H was dropped off, which left Grandma and Candace. Right. There were some witnesses that stated that. But apparently from that location to their house was like a 35 to 45 minute drive. So a lot of things could have happened between the time they dropped off H and the time allegedly she was driven home. And I look, look, the boys could be terrorized to lie too. You know what I mean?
2: There's that intimidating factor that could be coming from both parents. And um, that's a possibility. Again, You know, investigators look at everything, and you hear Sheriff Ronnie Lawson said, When questioned, do we have a suspect? He says, No, but everybody is getting looked at. And what that really means is not the whole wide world, but like you said, Bill and Phil, and we've all talked about this. Everybody who had any interaction or has any interaction with the Wells family, whether it's from their old residence in Utah, whether it's where she came from in Wisconsin, whether it was from all their multiple different addresses that they've had in the past everybody gets looked at everybody gets questioned and as phil said in previous videos that takes time gumshoe work uh, boots on the ground uh, knocking on doors that takes time and we know that because we've done it
0: you know a lot of that a lot of that also is to gather information so that you can challenge other information you know so you can if someone tells you something you don't just believe it. You right. check other things out to vet that information and say, well, that was true or that wasn't true. For example, alibis. Where was Don when he received this call? Do we know that? Do we, for in, in fact, know that? Was he in his car? Was the call made by a cell phone? Was it made by a landline?
2: He so far, he was at work. So does his boss concur that he was at work?
0: Right.
1: You, you always want to back up. When a person tells you something during an investigation, you always want to back it up and and say, well, was there somebody there that can, you know, back up your statement? That's really like, you know, just uh, routine stuff. But uh, Bill, you made a great point about you, you felt very strongly from the beginning on this that she made the phone call, the 911 call after she called her husband. So now we talked about it in the early part of the show, the timeline. I am very confident, very confident that all of the things that we're talking about, I'm sure that the investigators have looked at and determined if the kid ever made it back to the house, or if their timeline is bullshit, or if it's actual real timeline. I I, I would very, very comfortably say that they know whether or not, whether they interviewed those boys or not, there's other ways to determine whether or not uh, the statements that they're making from the beginning are actually accurate. And I think that that is going to be the direction that the case is going to take based on all of those things. And you know, keeping them, uh, they're saying uh, it's time for them to come in. We don't know how many times they were interviewed. They may have been interviewed more than once, you know?
0: Well, you know what I just i just uh, read today, or I just heard today, another internet rumor, and I don't know, again, duty, Ron, maybe you know more than me, that she allegedly failed her first polygraph.
2: It was said that, uh, and again, this is on in fake book land, uh, that she um, was nervous and was, you know, apprehensive and worked up. And then she was given an opportunity to go home and then come back with a clear, you know, slate and do it again. Now I had um uh, Dan Rubikoff. He is from the Steve Wildco show. He's a professional polygraph expert. He's actually like I think number three or four in the world. He's the best of the best, this guy. Uh, and he told me that sometimes that they give four, five, and six polygraphs. So um, you know the, the exam can take up to four four to five hours, so and some of them longer. So I'm going to have him come on and talk a little bit about polygraphs again in an upcoming show. But what I'm excited about is that Mark Class from the Class Kids Foundation has agreed to come and join me. Um, and Bill, I, I'm going to you know ask you to come again because I'd, I'd uh,
0: love to come on. Yep. You know,
2: and uh, we're going to pick his brain apart about. Uh, the timeline about the, um, the parents uh, statements. And Mark is a, you know, as you know, Bill, you, you got to talk with him. He's a no nonsense guy. You know, he said in no uncertain terms, his first point of business was to clear his name. He said, wire me up, do whatever you got to do. But I want to be out there shouting from the rooftops to find Polyclast," And that's what he said was very suspect in Trezell and Jacqueline West is that they were not being cooperative in the public eye. They made the one statement and police said that they would answer their questions, but they weren't out there saying, hey, where's my two boys? And the same thing with Don and Kansas. Kansas is, um, just did a march or whatever, but they're not saying to people, they're more concerned about uh, refuting and um, challenging internet tough guys
0: right right exactly
2: keyboard warriors that's what they're most concerned about warriors and the tough guys those those are be the last thing on my mind as a matter of fact i don't even pay attention to them with my own youtube channel people send me a bunch of bull all the time i get these things and i you know what i do i delete them and i block them all right but he shouldn't even be giving them the time of day at the end of the day he should be concerned with what's most important what's at the forefront a Bill, old girl missing.
1: Bill, I want to make a point about uh, polygraphs. I did have some experience with polygraphs from the job. And then when I retired, I was in the private investigation business and I shared an office with a polygraph uh, expert. And uh, you talked about, uh, Ron, you talked about that there was a, a period of time in between she showed up, she was nervous, she was freaking out, she went home. If she would have taken tranquilizers, uh, any you know prescription drug, that would definitely... A uh, cloud the results of the polygraph. Now, polygraphs that, that the guy in my office gave, he would do the test a minimum of three times. Right. And, you know, sometimes uh, the third time would be the best result because, like you explained, someone's a little nervous, you get them to calm down. It takes a little time. Polygraph doesn't happen in, in five minutes. So with her being allowed to leave and then come back. Now, in law enforcement, they wouldn't They wouldn't do that. They'd say, you're here for the polygraph. You want to calm down, you know, have a cup of coffee or, or a glass of water. That's fine. But they wouldn't allow the person to leave. So now she could have left. And I'm not saying that this happened. I don't know. We don't even know if the polygraph actually ever did happen. But when a polygraph is given by law enforcement, that has substance in my book. I know that there were a lot of polygraph people when I was in the private sector doing private investigation with different attorneys. And they wouldn't do a, a law enforcement polygraph when they had a... Uh, a client that was obviously guilty, but they would do a private polygraph. And then if the person passed, say, well, they passed the polygraph that was given in my office. Not good enough in my book. Polygraph given by law enforcement is the only thing that holds weight with me personally. And I was on both sides of the fence. I
0: I just want to mention something about um, basically how good the NYPD is at interviewing interrogation. When they needed people to interview the prisoners at Guantanamo Bay in Cuba, Guess who they brought there? That's right. NYPD, NYPD detectives. That right? is a great point. They didn't, I was on
1: that assignment myself. No, well, no just it
0: shows and it's a great, you know, little star to put on your bulletin board. Yay. We were at Guantanamo Bay interviewing terrorists. That's right. Because because let me just uh, talk a bit about interviewing and interrogation. It's a skill acquired over time. And on the NYPD, unlike a lot of other jobs, you know, they don't just send you to school, you learn on the job from doing hundreds and thousands, and not just interrogations. Interviews are very important. Just getting soliciting information from people is a skill that gets better and better over time, and you can be taught. Some of the greatest interviewers and interrogators share their skills with new detectives when they come into the squad. That's what's so unique about the NYPD.
1: Super I have to add a point to what you said, Bill. The interview part very very important that you build that skill because a lot of times there could be witnesses that saw things not involved in the actual crime but they're a witness but they're reluctant to come forward because they're worried if there's going to be retaliation so a good investigator or a good interviewer can put them at ease make them feel comfortable and get that necessary information out of them and get them to come forward and give the information you know it's not it's not something that you learn from a book or or an instructor can teach you it's something that's acquired for sure, Bill. And I agree with you
0: there. And and much of it is instinctive, that you can feel certain things. And if I learned anything from law enforcement or from life in general is always, always, always trust your instincts and go with what your instincts are telling you to do. Duty Ron, I could see I just jarred something in your head. You want to talk?
2: Yeah. yeah. I mean, piggyback off of what you're saying as well. I debriefed every warrant uh, arrest that I made every warrant return that I made. And the reason I did that, most of the guys in the, in the, in the warrant squad didn't do it is I learned from when I did my past investigation before coming into warrants, when I worked with parole and we did the debriefings and uh, interview and interrogation. Uh, I, I got my, some of my interview and interrogation training from out at, and at, at one of the army bases out in Farmingdale, I believe it was, uh, in Long Island, and it was an interesting uh, week-long course that I took uh, from the from the uh, from the Army, and it was uh, I, I I thought it was something that I took going forward very seriously because when I took people in for just say misdemeanor or felony warrants, and I debriefed them. I would talk to them about shootings. I would talk to them about uh, the rape p- uh, patterns that I, we had in our, and I would look to try to get information to close cases for the PDUs. Um, and that's how I was. I took my job seriously. And a lot of guys, you know, uh, some, some of them just want to go home at the end of the day. We all know we, we worked around guys like that. But for me, it was important for me to be out there and fight crime. And to fight it, you got you to gotta work it. So um, it, it just doesn't happen. It just doesn't sit in your lap. You know,
0: you know, know, duty, Ron, one of the things also is that a polygraph is not allowed in court. So really, it's a tool tool. that shakes up an interviewee when they can tell them you failed with flying colors. Now, I'm going to show you where you were lying. But, you know, something a good interviewer, a good interrogator can get that out of a, a defendant also. It doesn't. This, I, I, I almost never saw a polygraph used on the NYPD.
2: I've never seen I it used. Never. I can't
0: remember when it was ever used, you know, and, you know, so I, I don't know if it was a tool there, that There we, were
1: times when it was used in, in Brooklyn South. I worked in Brooklyn South. Um, we would use it with witnesses to a homicide We would polygraph them to see if they were believable because a lot of times, you know, witnesses, maybe uh, they could be uh, close to the person that was involved. So that's where I saw it used uh, a lot of times with witnesses. We would bring a witness down to the district attorney's office. They would be put uh, to an interview by the district attorney assigned to the homicide case. And then if they didn't believe them or they weren't sure, just to be, I mean, they're pointing the finger at somebody. I'm not talking about somebody that, yeah, I heard gunshots. They saw the actual murder. That's right. why we would use the polygraph to say, all right, we can believe them. They passed the polygraph. Let's go out and arrest this individual. You know, obviously, with other evidence as well. So that, but that's we what it say, a lot for
2: me. What we could say in this case, uh, we don't know if Don or Kansas was polygraphed because we're going based on what other people are telling us. The law enforcement who are running the case, they have not confirmed or denied that. Until they do it, then to me, it never happened that's how i look at it and i feel that you know uh, we have to be guided by what they tell us and they may never tell us whether they did it or not and don might be speaking some half truth maybe that it did happen some way but if i guarantee you it didn't happen the exact way he's telling us because it doesn't seem like a lot of the things that they're saying to us is truthful but polygraphs are a tool and we look at chris watts who annihilated his whole family he failed the poly and then he gave him he gave a full confession after that although the confession was watered down based on his father coming in there and giving him some bullcrap lines and stuff like that. But he finally came clean, but it was right after a poly. So um, they work, you know, they work. And I think they work good.
0: 5P, thank you so much for the $20 super chat. This is the police off the cuff podcast. Our guest, are duty Ron primetime with duty Ron and straight out of Brooklyn. Phil Grimaldi. I love saying that because people love that, that he's, but tonight he's not straight out of Brooklyn. He's in Brooklyn. Yeah, he's, he's in a car in Brooklyn in a two clip location. And for you, you folks that are really gun buffs, I know it's magazine. He's in a two magazine location. But we're gonna look out for Phil on the street
2: there, and a bulletproof vest. That's right.
1: <laughs> well, one quick point I want to make about the polygraph. Now we don't know if they were actually given a polygraph, but the fact, if they even asked, you'll get a reaction. And if I was the investigator in a case and I sat either one of them down and said, "Okay, we got your statement. We'd like to give you a polygraph just to see if uh, the statements you're given are truthful and it would eliminate you as a suspect. Right there, you'd have a tremendous uh, response. Either you're going to get one of two things you're going to get. Yeah, no problem. Let's do it right now. I want to find my daughter. Or you're going to get, well, I don't know. Can I speak to my attorney? If that happens, it puts you in a direction. It gives you further uh, ammunition to go at the person. So whether or not they were asked, we don't know, but I would love to be in the room if either one of them was asked just to see their reaction.
2: Can can I make a comment on uh, Love Wins puts in the chat? No disrespect, gentlemen. It's not admissible in court as evidence. We've never said that. And if you were listening... You, I just said that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just so... This is what makes it ridiculous, is that somebody like that, and I'm not specifically dogging you, Love Wins, or whoever you are, Love Wins... Uh, I want to read the rest of it. It's not admissible in court at a trial. It doesn't pass the scientific check of authenticity. I'd say from I'd say no from the standpoint of the citizen and former journalist. Listen, we respect what your opinion is, but at the end of the day, none of us here on the panel said that it's admissible in court. We said it's a tool, T O O L, a tool used to get a confession that is admissible in court.
1: And I also made the point that if you, you go for a polygraph and you ingest a tranquilizer or some type of narcotics or an intoxicant, alcohol or, or drugs, you will definitely be able to pass the polygraph. And that's the reasons why it's not admissible in court, which we stressed and we said tonight and we've said it before. So, I mean, that, that comment, yeah, you're right. hundred percent. You're right. But you don't need to uh, like to dog us that we're, we're bringing it up because it is an investigative tool. And, just the fact that you ask the question and you get not a listening. response, that
0: means, that means something to me. Whatever 007ism, based on your collective experience, any idea what may have happened to Summer? You know, we're not uh, in the prediction business. I don't think the fact that she's been missing this long is obviously not a very good sign. The fact that we're not seeing um, closure yet is not a good sign. But I do not at all want to, criticize the police because I know they're working as hard as they can and they have a lot of things that we don't know about. I have, you know, something I think it's time to bring Kansas, Kansas back in, though. I will say that. It's time to bring Don back in, too. And uh, I don't care about polygraphs. I think it's time to sit them down in separate rooms and uh, have a candid conversation with them.
1: And, and that, that's routine, just to, to clear up inconsistencies or uh, you said this but publicly, you said that. I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. We're not, we're not saying anybody's a suspect here. When you're talking about bringing them back in to be interviewed, you're trying to clear up an inconsistency or, or get more information. You know, uh, other information could have been developed that maybe they forgot. Maybe a, a neighbor said, "Oh, I saw that." We'll use the red pickup. I saw it, and then you can call them back in and say, "Well, your neighbor said that they saw the red pickup drive by. Did it drive by your house? Did you see?" It? You know, I don't right. think there's anything wrong with that. We're not saying anybody's a suspect but your investigative instincts Bill I think are 100% correct and based on all the things that we spoke about she should be uh, definitely reinterviewed uh, and,
2: and what's great and what's great about social media and uh, what works to uh, law enforcement's advantage is when potentials when people that are in the in the pecking order of investigations uh, start making comments and making random statements on social media. That is all ammo to use in an investigation. I'm not saying here in this case, but I'm saying in any case. Uh, so the more that someone rambles on and talks, the more reason why you want to get them back in and question them again.
0: No, 100%. You know, and the other thing is in duty on you and I discussed this the other day is that as they're taking their time with this investigation, being methodical and not being reckless, some of the scientific evidence we hope is coming back in. Process. We hope we hope cell site information is coming back in. We t- we talked about you know the lawman search. Some of, all of that stuff takes time. It's not like TV. You call up and they say, "Oh yeah, we got all your information for you." Yeah. Some of this they- stuff t- it takes a month or six weeks to get. You know, it's not like TV that easy button. Press yeah. the easy Don button. Rokes
1: walks in the room and hands it to you. you know, yeah, like, right. Yeah, ha-
0: they have it in ten minutes. Or so they say, "Oh, the police commissioner wants it." Oh, yeah. Well, tell the police commissioner he can wait. You know, none of that stuff is true, like they show on Law and Order and stuff. But so some, hopefully, some of the evidence will be starting to to come in. The evidence that they need, and that's what you need to challenge people with. Okay, when people are challenged with the truth against lies that's when they crumble in the box
1: absolutely we've seen it
2: time and time again and uh you know any good investigator any good interview and interrogator knows every question and every answer leads you into a different area you know and uh it's really it, it it's it's time it's time to get them back in i agree
0: you know duty run we spoke about this earlier but people are saying it again in the chat Uh, It's going around the internet that Don has left, but we cannot confirm that we, you know, it's like you say, it's on fake book that makes it true. (laughs) You know, it's on fake book that does absolutely does not make it true. We (laughs) don't know if he's around. We don't know where the heck the guy is.
2: uh, So we can't,
1: I think that's a bad rumor. It sounds like nonsense to me. It's just my opinion. Uh, people just running wild with with. Uh, right. But you
2: know, also, also what people don't don't realize is that unless you're under arrest, you're fair, to, you're free to go wherever you want to go. I'm not saying that they they shouldn't have eyes on the guy and they shouldn't let him leave the country, but um, if he wants to go to Texas or to Arkansas or wherever he wants to go, uh, I don't think that there's any legal ground for them to say, "Hey, you got to stay here." It just does. It's not a good look if your daughter's missing and you're traveling to a different state. Or if you're going on a uh, you know a party somewhere and you're going and yucking it up, then you know that's that's unacceptable. But there's nothing to stop. You know, law enforcement can't tell them, hey, you're not you're not free to leave your you know your 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 hometown. So I, I don't I don't. Know. There's nothing criminal about it. You know. So
1: in, in other own- cases that I've seen, sometimes if a person is is. They're they're considered a person of interest and they're going to be a perpetrator or they're going to be arrested. And we're building the case. We're building. And we get word that this person may be we call it skying up leaving. Then maybe you can hold them on some uh, minor charge. And then, uh, you know, you're waiting for cell phone evidence. You're waiting for blood evidence, whatever it is. And that happens sometimes, but like you said, he's free to come and go as he pleases. And I think it's all nonsense that he took off to. That sounds like baloney to
2: me. Yeah, I wouldn't put too much time into that.
0: Yeah, yeah no, it's uh, you know. So as we were saying, putting the you know putting the touches on this case, collecting the evidence. That's why TBI and the FBI and the local police, they're taking their time. And I know you know, cross your T's and dot your I's. You want to do that in every investigation. So then when you do pull the trigger, it's – the gun's going to go off, you know, and you don't, you're you not standing there with empty threats, but you have enough. You have, pro, you have probable cause, which is what yeah. is needed to make an arrest.
2: We got hundreds of great questions in the comments. I've taken the time since I'm not doing this live stream, and I'm a guest. I'm looking at so many of them, and I want to just say thank you to everybody who's given – uh, who's sending out comments, but if, if we just answered comments We wouldn't be able to get out uh, the information that we want to get out. So honest rage. Thank you for uh, your questions. TJ Matt Sully um, Forever young, uh, there's a bunch of people paranormal vlog Judy hammer. So- retired sergeant Melinda's here So um, everybody hot pink Jal- jalapeno uh, Sally T Deidre Holy crap, there's so many people here, and you guys are awesome, because the questions that you do ask, I know Bill goes back and looks at the chats, and it gives us ideas and it gives us things to talk about. So it's much appreciated, the interaction is important, but with 1600 people in a chat, it's difficult to completely answer every single question that comes through. So after the conversation is over and the live stream is over, always put comments down below in the comment section this guy right here where is he there he is bill he looked at the comments um he loves to see the interaction come in so that's the beauty of youtube if you don't get your answer to your comments in the live chat you could leave it down below and police off the cuff will be reviewing and in the days to come it takes some time but always, always, we welcome the interaction in the comment section, as long as it's respectful and it's not disparaging to any of the um, subjects or guests. It's always welcome.
1: And, and another point real quick on that, we also welcome the challenging questions. We're not afraid of anybody's question. The questions, there were a lot of great questions that led us into conversation about uh, investigative techniques or what we thought in our opinions. But when somebody made something that we thought was ridiculous we, we addressed it and we, we said the truth when, when the guy made the comment about uh the polygraph we restated what he, we had already said so the the questions and the comments it's a big part of this podcast uh and we're all for it and if you challenge us we're ready for the challenge we are inve- investigators that are experienced and it, we give opinion and we give expert knowledge to the podcast so keep them coming
0: you know, one, just one other thing I, I wanted to say, and um, I'm humbled by how many people were in this chat, and I just want to, you know, provide some expert commentary with my uh, two compadres here. But one of the things I would also like to readily admit to, uh, and which Barbara Butcher did the other day, is that we make mistakes, and we're not always correct. That's we're right. just We're just basing our analysis on our experience, our education, and, you know, taking a, a, a deep dive into this and a look at it. But can we be wrong? Sure, we could be wrong. You know, and, and I keep mentioning, and as does duty, Run, we're not privy to the the case folder. And we don't know all the little ins and outs of the information that they've gotten and the information they checked and the information they vetted and found out to be false. So if we knew all of that, I would speak as in more absolutes. But I'm not going to speak in an absolute what I don't absolutely know.
2: Yeah, and well said, Bill. And Lily Rose uh, sends in a $5 super chat, and she says, are kids given polygraphs? I asked two of my guests that in some of my shows on duty run uh, crime time. Uh, it depends on the age, and it also you need um, uh, parental, uh, parental permission. So uh, that varies, and I'm going to have, like I said, in the coming days – a polygraph expert. He does the criminal polys and he does uh, employment and everything in between, but he's conducted, I think he told me over 5,500 polygraphs in his time. So he is one of the, you know, one of the experts in this field. I'm going to dedicate just a live stream to polygraphs uh, and it's going to be pinpointed in this case, but we will talk in general about it. So um, make sure you definitely subscribe also to my channel. That's duty Ron all one word and follow police off the cuff on all social media and subscribe to Bill's channel if you're not yet subscribed
1: Uh, Ron, one one quick comment about the uh, age of the polygraph Um, I had uh, a client when I was doing the private investigation business and we polygraphed a 13 year old uh, with his parents permission it was with the parents permission but we did a 13 year old the polygraph expert was able to do it and Unfortunately, we determined that he wasn't truthful in that specific specific case. But uh, uh, we went as low as a 13-year-old that was polygraphed.
0: Yeah. K.H. Walker, thank you so much for the $5 super chat. And you, you said, why not tape off house and yard as a crime scene? Well, they haven't 100% determined that it, in fact, is a crime scene. If, right. you, if and when that comes to that, they will do that. Someone else just asked me. How is home security camera footage gathered and reviewed by law enforcement? I can just tell you by NYPD, we have a unit called the Technical Assistance Response Unit. And in very big cases, they'll come to the scene because much uh, camera footage is downloaded to a hard drive. So they don't want some amateur going in there and erasing the whole hard drive. So that's how it's done on the NYPD. But do detectives do it themselves when Tyroo can't come to the scene? Absolutely. A, A small department like this, they probably collect the um, the video footage themselves. You know, there guys. A
1: lot of the squads, they give the detectives the, the small. Like, what do they It's a zip drive. It's a, it's a zip drive. drive. They yeah. actually give it to the squad detectives now. And they'll go out, obviously, on a, on a high-profile case, Tarot Technical Assistance Response Unit would respond and recovered it. But all the detectives in the squads, and I know in in Brooklyn anyhow, they're all pretty uh, knowledgeable about how to recover video from uh, home systems. And they carry, they give them those little zip drives and they plug it right in and they take it from uh,
2: I think one of the biggest challenges in that neighborhood, because now we're talking about Hawkins County, Rogersville, Tennessee, it's not New York City. Um, Their Wi-Fi and um, cellular stuff stinks. So ring video doorbells, they primarily operate off of Wi-Fi. So if you don't have good Wi-Fi, and we saw reporters standing on a hill with their phone up in one area and their, their their leg out, and they were like trying to use an antenna to get um, a good signal, uh, it's a challenge over there. And um, we saw it when I had uh, the the young college student come on that made the two thousand dollar donation. Um, He said to me in in no uncertain terms is we have challenges with um, self-service. So going around door to door and getting somebody or hoping that someone has a video cam or trail cams, um, that's another challenge that our investigators on this team are up against. So it's not going to be plentiful, um, but we hope that it is they have some because having some is better than having none. Uh, a quick thing. Um, somebody sent in a super chat and asked. Oh, shoot. It's gone. All right. Sorry about that. I was trying to get to it. I wrote one of them down before I answered that one. Somebody sent in a $5 super chat, but I I couldn't. um I couldn't. I can't get it now because it's off the screen. Well, you
0: know, Duty Ron, someone just said and this. I'm sure this is a rumor because at the CFO, a neighbor said a red truck tried to abduct her child two days before someone disappeared and there was a child in the truck. So that's unconfirmable. We can't, uh, but those are
2: all rumors that are out there stirring. I found it by the way. A good, a good detective doesn't give up. Mandy S sends in a $5 super chat and she says, clearly gentlemen, there are issues in the home. I'm surprised the two sons There's actually three have not been removed by family and child services. Well, Mandy, we talked about that earlier. So if you go back and look at the replay, we went into details about it. I actually brought it up and uh, the three of us um kicked it around. We kicked that bucket around quite a bit. You know,
0: Thanks. guys, I I <laughs> I kept you a lot longer than I said I was gonna keep everyone.
2: Over time, boss. Over time.
0: Right, we, we were are gonna try to keep this to under an hour, but you know, we've had we had sixteen hundred people in the live chat. So there's a great deal of interest in this case, and I hope that uh I don't think I was interested in this listening to you guys talk. So I think this is quite interesting. There's a lot of interest in this case, and we can never lose the sight, lose sight of the fact that this is a five-year-old girl that's missing, and uh, we pray for her safe return. But you know, as time goes on, we're less and less hopeful. And folks, just realize we're giving this from a police respect perspective. We're not journalists. We're not internet sleuths. We're giving this from the the real the real view of law enforcement. And guys, duty Ron. Bill Grimaldi straight out of Brooklyn, but in fact, tonight is in Brooklyn. <laughs> I just want to thank you guys for being on the show. You guys are fantastic. I mean, I think we think the same way a great deal. And I love that I can throw things to you and you don't go like, bling, 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 you know, you answer it right away. And that's, that's impressive. Uh Duty
2: run any last words? Yeah, folks. Um, I think it's important again, that we understand this is about Summerwell. So one uh, 800 TBI find if you have any valid tips, call them into the tip hotline. Let's bring summer home and let's not forget that this is about a five year old girl who was reported missing June 15th. Uh, it, it, it is what is clear and concise is that we have a situation that is not uh set in stone. Timelines are shady, things are uh, g- going to change on this case. Pay attention to what your law enforcement tells you, I'm looking forward to the next presser. And they said that they weren't going to do another press conference unless there was a significant change. So just know that behind the scenes, they're working vigorously on leads and cases, uh, things that are involved in this case, uh, forensics and all the stuff that we talked about. Be patient with them and support them. Uh, I know Bill is going to link 1-800-TBI-FIND in the description at the end of this. And if you see something, say something, please.
0: Bill, you got any last words?
1: Yes, absolutely. There's an old saying that you got to crack a few eggs to make an omelet. And what I am going to uh, uh, relate that to is this. If during the investigation, if I was on this case and I upset some people by asking them hard questions, so be it. There's a five-year-old child that's missing for it's over a month now, okay? So if I have to piss off a few people and, and I'm not going to get a Christmas card from them this year, so be it. That's okay. <laughs> Uh, the bottom line is, let's work for the victim. Let's find this little girl. Let's find out what happened. Let's hold whoever it is accountable. And I think the three of us would have made a great team in uh, in, the, in the NYPD.
0: Sure. Okay. I object. Thank you so much for the 499 super sticker. My name is Bill Cannon, retired NYPD sergeant uh, with duty, Ron, and uh, Phil Grimaldi, two retired NYPD detectives. This is Police Off the Cuff after hours real crime stories. I just want to thank all you folks that have subscribed to Police Off the Cuff. I thank you so much and it's great to see people from all over the world in the chat. It's it's very humbling. So on behalf of uh Police Off the Cuff, Bill Cannon, I'm signing off right now. Good night everyone. Good night.
1: Stay safe everybody.